it's not really so much that um, a country can ban Bitcoin. I think it's more the obvious, uh, the, excuse me, more the opposite, is that a country really only has the power to ban itself from Bitcoin. The best in Bitcoin made audible. I am Guy Swan, and this is Bitcoin Audible. What is up, guys? Welcome back to Bitcoin Audible. We are closing out this week with a Guy's Take episode that I've been meaning to publish for a while, but I've been having a lot of, uh, I guess you could say, technical trouble with. Um, uh, this is my speech from BitBlock Boom for those of you who did not get to attend the conference. Uh, and it was titled, Bitcoin, an Unstoppable Force. Uh, we did have, uh, I tried to cut out all the little hiccups um, because there were some issues with the mic about three times, I think, uh, towards the beginning of the speech. Um, and uh, the audio is a little wonky at periods um, because of that issue uh, specifically. But it's not too bad, and there's only one section that they had to convert. They had to switch to a different mic entirely. Um, but I had so much fun with this one, and fingers crossed, if everything goes well, uh, I will also be uh, speaking at Unconfiscatable Tone Vey's um, uh, conference on April 22nd to the 25th in Las Vegas. So if anybody uh, is able to make it out there, um, I think that's going to be really great. And this will be the first time I actually got to go to that uh, conference. Uh, I hope you enjoy this one today. But before we get into it, uh, let's thank our sponsors really quick. You know them. You love them, and they make this show, Bitcoin Audible, possible. Uh, first, we've got the Bitcoin mobile wallet that you do not want to miss, Hexa Wallet. They've got multiple accounts, seedless backups, um, and tons of other features, including one that should be arriving soon uh, that you can buy, uh, you can sign up and use Swan Bitcoin, swanbitcoin.com slash guy, by the way, for $10 free, uh, Swan Bitcoin right in the app which I'm really excited about. Um, then we've got the secure, minimalist, open source Bitbox hardware wallet. Uh, and this honestly is very quickly becoming the favorite of my seven hardware wallets that I personally own and absolutely is the go-to for somebody who is new to the space, in my opinion. A hands-down Bitbox is it. Um, and, uh, and then we've got level.co, lvl.co. These guys have just launched, and uh, December 1st of this year, actually, and I genuinely think this could be a major, uh, a major disruptor in fintech. Uh, they essentially have a freemium model for Bitcoin banking service. You get no fee conversions between Bitcoin and USD, uh, plus a couple of uh, uh, altcoins. It is FDIC insured. There, you get wires, checks, and direct deposit. And you can get a debit card to spend cash directly from Bitcoin. No spread or exchange fee. Now imagine that you could do your normal banking 100% in Bitcoin, but spend it as dollars without ever having to think about selling or moving money. And it's not in North Carolina yet, but you can bet your ass that I will have an account the second that they are. But check to see if they are in your state. Uh, that is level, LVL.co. You can find all three of our awesome sponsors at GuySwan.com. 
But let's go ahead and get into today's episode. There will be no more interruptions. My full presentation with a few questions afterward at BitBlockBoom titled Bitcoin, an Unstoppable Force. <laughs> All right. So I'm Guy Swan. The guy's read more about Bitcoin than anybody else you know. Uh, that, that might be a tall order in this room, but I think I could get away with it. Um, I host the uh, Bitcoin Audible podcast. Uh, many of you may know about it, um, uh, where I, I read Bitcoin. <laughs> so I got proof of work about you know, some thousand odd hours into that one. Um, uh, my talk is about Bitcoin being an unstoppable force. Herman Francis Mark was a chemist. Uh, he was famous actually for uh, he was famous for discovering uh, kind of like an X-ray diffraction technique that like uh, figured out a new way to uh, look at and discover like the structure of polymers and proteins and stuff. Uh, a pretty big deal. And in the 1930s, he lived in Austria when the Nazis were coming to power. He was also the son of a Jewish father. When, when the Nazis began to con consolidate power, he and his wife went to the black market. He, you know, he saw the writing on the wall. And he and his wife started to buy on the black market secretly platinum wire. They twisted it into coat hangers. They, they spent $50,000 worth. He put literally their entire last, uh, life savings into platinum wire. By the way, $50,000 then is about $900,000 today. And he twisted it into coat hangers. And his wife made these like little cloth covers so they just look like any old cheap, worthless hangers. Now, he actually got arrested when, um, right when the, the political union of Germany and Austria was announced. Uh, and they revoked his passport. Um, but he was actually lucky enough to get out in like pretty short order, just under the strict, uh, uh, the strict order that he could not contact anybody of Jewish descent. And so, they put a Nazi flag on the, uh, well, first he had to actually bribe, he had to take a whole year's worth of salary and bribe a corrupt official to get his passport back. And then he put the Nazi flag on the radiator, radiator, radiator of his car. He put a ski rack on top and they put a whole bunch of ski equipment and they got their whole family together and they drove to the border uh, with a trunk full of their clothes on what looked like worthless hangers. And, you know, they did a general search, but here's just a family leaving the country and, you know, going skiing. And they left everything behind. They left their house, their, their friends, they didn't tell anybody, and they never went back. But they took their life savings with them, disguised as a bunch of worthless coat hangers. Bitcoin has is the first thing to ever turn value into pure information. And I don't think, you know, people talk all the time about like, it's like, oh, you can put 24 words in your head and you can leave the country and like nobody can catch you. And like we talk about that all the time, but I really don't think we stress how meaningful that actually is. Like that is a profound shift in the history of humanity. And one of the, one of the things that like, like the element you take Mark's story and 
one of the one of the things about it is that if he actually shared that with anyone else, it wouldn't work anymore, right? Um, as, so, as soon as he told somebody else, it's like, dude, make make your coat hangers in the in the platinum wire. Well, then it falls apart. Like the next guy gets caught, and suddenly it's worthless because he shared it with other people. Bitcoin's the exact opposite. If I share it and tell everybody about it, it becomes more accessible and it becomes more powerful for the exact use case. It doesn't take away its power, it doubles it. Like, so we can share it with everyone and actually give everyone this level of sovereignty and power and a huge shift in the dynamic between the power of the individual to protect their own wealth versus the power of the state to take it from them. And that's just not something that you know, that's not something that comes along every every now and then. Um, Bitcoin. I, we've reached a point where I think the cat is out of the bag, so to speak. Um, you know, Pandora's box is open. Uh, the to the toothpaste is out of the tube. We're not gonna, we're not going to get it back in there. Um, and I don't think we, we, there's there's a lot of these the skepticism or criticism that. You know, maybe Bitcoin would be banned. Um, and obviously, you know, the general skeptic or whatever, there's a whole slew of uh, uh, kind of the general um, uh, arguments against Bitcoin that, um, you know, it doesn't work as money, uh, that it's too volatile, it's too slow, all those things, all, those, all, all the general ones. In fact, Parker Lewis, you know, is going to have a speech uh, gradually, then suddenly he has an awesome, just a phenomenal series. Um, that uh, basically hits all of these one by one. But uh, um, he hits uh, one in that series uh, called Bitcoin Cannot Be Banned. And some of the, one really interesting realization that he has in that is that uh, the shift from, uh, and Bitcoin cannot be banned is kind of that next stage. So like after you get through like Bitcoin can't work as money, that's like kind of that next like automatic response. It's like, oh, well, governments will just ban it. But in that assumption is actually, it's not, it's not just that they conceded the first point, it's that they're holding, the, the presumption is the entire, the polar opposite of that first assumption. It's not that Bitcoin can now, okay, maybe it can work as money. It's literally that it could work so well as money that Bitcoins would have to ban it. And like, so in that, they're, they're literally, you've already won. Like the argument's already over. We've we've basically agreed that Bitcoin works as money, um, but there are a handful of elements that just make Bitcoin uh, truly unstoppable. That that puts us in that position of the cat is out of the bag. The network is completely distributed. It's on hundreds of thousands of computers all across the globe. There's there's no actual jurisdiction of Bitcoin. Bitcoin is a new jurisdiction competing with the global financial system. It is by far the most secure computational network in the world. Um, uh, it's, uh, and I actually think a lot of people complain about like, it's like, oh, ASICs are terrible for centralization. I actually think ASICs are the best thing that ever happened to Bitcoin security. And I'll get into that a little bit in a minute. Um, but uh, the combination of like the hash rate distribution, um, uh, the fact that, you know, a lot of people point out that like, oh, all the polls are in China or whatever. But if you look at, there's a great uh, piece by Stop and Decrypt um, that shows the breakdown. Uh, Slush Pool has actually uh, publicly posted um, their breakdown of uh, how how distrib distributed their hash power is. Like these are pools. These are this is these are just people logging into a website and mining together. 
in one location. It's not that they have control over all of this hash power. This is thousands and thousands of miners, a lot of people in this room probably, who are working together into one, one place to, to pool their hash power. And, uh, and we've, also, we've also moved through a couple of eras in, the, in Bitcoin mining. And uh, the one that we're moving into, I think, is going to be, uh, is going to actually have another profound shift toward the decentralization of mining, is as it, uh, as it becomes married to the energy production sector, and then also as uh, political instability um, actually forces the uh, increased mobility of mining hardware. And we're actually seeing this with like upstream data and the ability to uh, uh, like you know put these uh, install these things in like no time at all in these like you know containers or whatever that they can just ship around like in a matter of days moving uh, tons and tons of uh, hashing power setting it up like you're setting up somebody's cable subscription um, and then also uh, also on the on the mining note is that a 51% attack is not really the death sentence that a lot of people make it out to be. Um, but uh, I'll get there in a second too. Uh, but then there's then there's the market. The market is truly global, and it's actually got real prices. This is something that I think like the the incentives are real, the market is real, and the prices are real. And governments since since governments became a thing, have been trying to fight against market prices and failing. It, indefinitely like like they, they just always fail you can't fight the market all you can ever do is push it into the dark or uh, uh, you know manipulate it and uh, basically make it bloated until finally reality comes back and slaps you in the face and all the prices go back to what they were supposed to go to and everybody freaks out um, uh, but uh, which is which is something the governments are pretty fond of doing too uh, but you know talking about pushing uh, markets into the dark is Bitcoin's not afraid of the dark Bitcoin was born there, you know? Like the first two or three years of any semblance of a market in Bitcoin was for illegal crap. Like, no, like Bitcoin is, like, like to ban Bitcoin is to just put it like right where it was always ready to be. Um, and uh, actually Katie Hahn uh, was a, a federal prosecutor back in 2012 during the whole Silk Road days. And uh, she was actually assigned the task at the DOJ of literally, they're like, oh, we got this perfect assignment for you. Because uh, she was like kind of techie. Um, and she's like, we, we want you to figure out how to turn off Bitcoin. And uh, she was like, okay. Um, and she started investigating it. And she basically reached two conclusions. One, there's not really any way to do that. Um, she was like, well, crap. Um, it's basically like BitTorrent. Like there's this huge distributed network, like what to, <laughs> what do you want me to do? I'm sorry. Um, and the other was that the, the protocol itself is actually agnostic to what you use it for. Like it doesn't really matter. Like you don't have to. You, you don't have to be a criminal to use Bitcoin. It's like it's like BitTorrent. It's what put BitTorrent in a legal gray area uh, and made it incredibly difficult to attack because you you're basically trying to figure out how to define the the illegality of just this g really generic file distribution protocol. She likened it actually to saying, oh, we should just run out and prosecute all cash in the world. She's like, it just doesn't make any sense. And oddly enough, she became a Bitcoin enthusiast. And uh, she, got on the, she got on the board at Coinbase and uh, became a general partner at Andreessen Horowitz. 
uh, that $350 million cryptocurrency fund. So, you know, if that's what happens to everybody who's tasked with trying to kill Bitcoin, I guess we'll be fine. Uh, but at the heart of all of this, um, the most anti-fragile thing of all, if you will, uh, is the desire, the desire for humans to live free. And for and the power of the human mind to create and defend that freedom. That's what this is about. I, I can say that this is that's why we're here right now. Like I'm so happy to actually be out doing stuff and talking to big ones. You are my people. <laughs> so thank y'all for coming to this. Um, and back to the hashing uh, power real quick. Um, one thing. One thing about the hash power, because this is something like a lot of people talk about um, governments trying to like dominate or 51% of that network. First off, I think about 25% of the network now um, runs over the Tor, runs over the Tor network. So it doesn't actually have any like geographic location. And as far as the hash power goes, I've got an article recently that said uh, Bitcoin now consumes as much energy as Switzerland. And uh, it's funny, this article is talking about like how horrible this is, and uh, we got to stop Bitcoin. I can't believe we're allowing it to use all this, all this energy. I mean, I'm, I'm not getting jacked reading this article, being like, how do we get it to the top of the list? And uh, one of the things about that is just think. When you're competing with a global market where people, like anyone, like governments suck at competing with markets. Markets are always, like the Soviet Union, we saw like when they started to destroy the legacy market and when uh, they started to put in price controls and capital controls, the black market simply became the more productive one. They pushed it into the dark and then suddenly the black market was the only reason the Soviet Union still had an economy to speak of. We're seeing the same thing in Venezuela, we're seeing in Argentina, all the countries is, uh, as capital controls get worse, as political unrest gets worse, um, uh, the legitimate markets get pushed into the dark and that is where Bitcoin thrives. And so if, let's say, let's say a government tries to dominate the hash power. Um, this is where I think ASICs uh, were the most important thing to happen for Bitcoin security, is that we have a mining industry that is 100% isolated to Bitcoin. Like you can't do anything else with that chip. Like we're talking about like massive investments that have to be long-term thought, uh, thought out and you can't use it for anything else. If you could actually use that chip for something else, that would be a terrible thing. Because suddenly, suddenly you could just cut your miner off. You don't have to secure the Bitcoin network with that investment. Oh, you could uh, you know, hash for proteins or something like that, or you could use it for a medical experiment or whatever. Like, but you can't. You either, you either just eat the cost or you secure Bitcoin. So they'd have to dump billions of dollars into the actual industry that they would be trying to fight. With this, with this hash rate attack. And, or of course, they you know, covertly try to manufacture their own chip that's better than everything on the market, and they produce millions and millions of these things in secret and then set up some massive freaking data center 
and somehow we didn't know and you know in the two years that it takes them to do this like we've doubled and tripled the hash power again so their whole plan is crap um, and uh, like let's say the NSA the only people in government that can do IT anyway actually tries to pull this off and they do it in like their data center in Utah uh, to just just to turn the machines on they have to cut off all the power to Utah and Colorado like that's how that's how much force is behind this thing and the beauty of mining is that we've it's literally creating an energy force field around the history of Bitcoin like it's it's kind of Star Trek shit like the hash the hash wall is is proof that the only way inside to change or manipulate the history of Bitcoin is with just an ungodly amount of power so I just don't I just don't think that's very realistic to be per to be perfectly frank and the fact that the market continues and now we're we look to be on the cusp of another bull market um, I think the ship has already sailed but six months to a year I think it's just going to be kind of a distant memory um, so what about like a straight ban let's just say they just make it illegal incentives matter uh, the reason like I say like governments suck at fighting market prices capital controls and runaway inflation are the very reason Bitcoin becomes obvious that's what makes its value intuitive a ban on Bitcoin necessitates the idea that our government is getting ridiculous about capital controls and the only scenario in which the United States in particular really does like I think flat-out ban Bitcoin is if there's enormous amounts of capital flight from the country or if there's runaway inflation which is exactly when everybody has to stop and go what's this Bitcoin thing again <laughs> and again, I'm sure I'm sure everybody is familiar with the Streisand effect banning it publicly and being incredibly serious about doing so uh, could very well draw more attention to it and we actually kind of have an example of what it's like in that environment where people are scared of uh, uh, scared of losing their money is that uh, you know 19 33 uh, there's the executive order that you know you couldn't own gold anymore what happened to the price of gold it went up not down it went up and the people who could still get their hands on some privately rushed out to do so immediately um, unfortunately Bitcoin doesn't have any like peer-to-peer -peer markets or anything but um, uh, and it, you know you know let's say the price does crash um, this is something that like a skeptics bring up a lot I can't believe how many times it's like oh but the price would crash and I'm like oh, oh my god we don't know what that's like you know how I know you know how I know Bitcoin can survive a 50 to 60 percent crash because we've done it like 13 times like it's like we, we like I said we have real prices it's a real market when reality adjusts Bitcoin adjusts and that's its most important feature is that it doesn't get bloated it doesn't have systemic market risks it's not gonna leverage itself 50 to 1 it's only people in the legacy markets that are scared of a 2% move and they go screaming to the government please Jesus save us like and then they cook the books for another couple of trillion dollars and make their situation worse while Bitcoin's over here giving us real prices and you know 
Bitcoiners are like, like they're training like an army of market chads that when the price drops by 50%, you know, everybody's running scared and there's a collapse of faith in the legacy markets. And Bitcoiners are looking out in their driveway going like, do I really need two cars? <laughs> like, I could get 3K out of that, out of the crappier one. And that's like half a Bitcoin for, you know, maybe a day or two. <clears throat> so, I just, I don't think there's any stopping the market. And, you know, the realistic, like, I think the framing is also wrong, is that it's not really so much that um, a country can ban Bitcoin. I think it's more the obvious, uh, the, excuse me, more the opposite, is that a country really only has the power to ban itself from Bitcoin. Bitcoin is the new global market, and they either get to play the game or they're going to they're gonna watch as technology leaves them behind. But at the, end of the, at the end of the day, the last line of defense for Bitcoin is its people. This is made up of people who run nodes. Every time I find, find out there's a new way to kill or hurt Bitcoin or possibly censor something or bifurcate the network, it's from a Bitcoiner. Nobody works as hard as we do in trying to figure out how to kill the thing so that we can make it unkillable. <clears throat> and this was never about this was, this was never about asking permission. Like, the cypherpunks, oh, I'm a little low on time. Oh, I love that story. Uh, I'll have to skip over that one. But uh, at the end of the day, this is about freedom, right? And uh, as, I, as I said earlier, I was talking about like the assumption that, uh, like, that people would, uh, that the governments would ban Bitcoin. That's kind of like the skeptics' next. Um, uh, first, first point after figuring out that that can actually work as money. Um, well, there was a recognition that that means uh, Bitcoin can work as money, but there's actually a more sinister uh, presumption of the statement that, oh, well, Bitcoin uh, governments will just ban it. And even the most flag-waving American could tell you that and not realize that that means they really don't think we live in a free country. That the default assumption is just like, well, government's gonna ban it. Well, so you're saying that a technology that works, that can actually better people's lives, that has an unbelievable potential for novel applications would be banned by the government, not in spite of that, but specifically because of it. Like, that's not a world I want to live in. You know, if Bitcoin, the last, this last line in the Declaration of Independence says, in support of this declaration, we mutually pledge our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. And when I look around in Bitcoin, when I talk to the people who like really get this, that's what I see. Like, and we didn't like just like platitude, like, oh yeah, yeah, I'll sell my house in case something goes wrong. Like we already staked all our fortunes on this thing. <laughs> like we actually did. And if there's even a 1% chance that this thing can work, it's like, why the hell are we wasting our time with the other 99%? Because 
We have the potential to actually get privacy, freedom, and sovereignty back in the digital age. And if we actually end up in a future where we're in like some Orwellian panopticon surveillance state, social credit score crap, I don't want to have to look back like, and tell my grandkids that there was a potential that we could actually have gotten our freedom, gotten our privacy back, and I didn't try because like I thought the government might have told me I shouldn't do it. Like, I'm not gonna have to say that to anybody. I'm all in, motherfuckers. Five minute questions? Okay. All right, a couple minutes for questions. Who wants to go? Who's starting? Do what? Okay. Uh, yeah, there's a mic by the uh, cameras over there. So if uh, y'all want to uh, go up there and ask some questions. Mm. Okay, I'll tell the quick version. Um, so uh, back in uh, the 1990s, uh, the government, the federal government listed muni uh, munitions, listed uh, basic cryptography schemes as a military munition, as a weapon of war. And in doing so, they actually made it a federal crime to export it, to take it across borders. This is just information. This is just a, you know, lines of code. We're now a literal federal law, uh, uh, a federal um, uh, crime punishable by decades in prison. Now, the cypherpunks and cryptographer, like the cypherpunk mailing list was already around. Now, did they just be like, throw up their hands like, oh, well, crap, that sucks. Um, they, they had him back actually was part of this and uh, he printed it on a t-shirt and started selling it. They started using, uh, the, he wrote uh, three lines of Perl code and everybody started using it as a, a signature at the bottom of their email so that every single time they sent out like a new thing on the mailing list, they were breaking federal law. And then there was a guy, one of the guys named Vincent Kate um, actually started up a website that had across the banner across the top of the website said, said become an international arms trafficker in one click. And there was just a button and it would send PGP, it would send PGP code from a US server to one in Anguilla. And then, so, so it's like we're boasting and we're making it as simple as possible to break a federal law. And then they had a public board where you could sign your name and brag about it. You know, that's insane. Like, cypherpunks were never asking permission. They looked at an unjust, uh, an unjust, immoral, stupid law, and they, it was a badge of honor to go up and break it and say, come at me, bro, put me in prison. And it was, they actually fought like a decades-long legal battle uh, suing the government over it. And like the EFF, um, they were all donating to it, make sure to, to keep it alive. Uh, the Electronic Frontier Foundation, a bunch of other company or uh, institutions like that, and they actually won um, in late like '99 or 2000 or something like that. And you'd think they'd stop there, but they actually uh, Bernstein, the, actually, the guy who actually led it, turned right around and sued him again for something else. Uh, but uh, yeah, so cypherpunks are not one to uh, take anything lying down. So it's good to have them on our side. Sorry, question reading. Uh, it's much appreciated. Thank you guys for all the articles. <laughs> you must have a long list of things 
yet to read. What's uh, on your list that you keep setting aside because you're afraid the audience is too technical or small? Huh. Um, there's a lot of great stuff that has like charts and stuff. There's like a lot of research reports. There's one from Fidelity. Um, there's one on like central banking inequality. And I have a hard time like putting those on just because I like I fight about like whether or not I should like describe the charts. Like it's going up and to the right. Um, but uh, it's a little it's a little difficult when they lean heavily on like visuals and data because um, it doesn't come across very well in audio. But um, uh, if I can get to it, I usually just eventually get to it. I'll just have a day where I don't exactly know what to do, and I'll be like, you know, it's time to do that central banking thing. Um, but uh, none, none right now, actually. I'm just waiting to get get back to my mic so I can hit Parker Lewis's uh, Bitcoin is one for all. Hey, guys, just a quick, a quick comment and just a thought. So you said something earlier that I used to wholeheartedly believe as well, but I've really come to question it, okay. which is you said people desire freedom. And I'm just curious about you rethinking that, or I rethought that in this sort of latest environment we had. I watched people who I thought loved freedom demand freedoms be taken away when there were obvious other options to everybody's freedoms being taken away. i just curious your thoughts on that. It's one thing that sort of scared me that we, there obviously are people that do love freedom, but is it really widespread enough to make sure we secure what we're trying to, to create here? Um, yeah, that's a really good point. Uh, uh, I don't think people desire freedom philosophically. Uh, people don't understand it philosophically. And uh, it, granted, um, Bitcoin has pushed a lot of people who I think were on the other side of the fence over it and actually deeply curious about it. But people are afraid. You know, when people get scared, they want to feel safe. Um, but you've got to remember, though, that's, that's a desire to um, get freedom for themselves. Like, what they're trying to do is make their life safe. They're make, trying to make their situation and their freedom secure. It's just that the political system puts them at odds with everybody else. So that to get their freedom, to get their comfort, they have to put something on your face. And, uh, and this, is, this, is, <laughs> this is basically how things have always gone. But at the end of the day, Bitcoin is a system where the self-interested actually enhance the power and the freedom of those around them that they, they aren't at odds when you use Bitcoin or when you use a system that uh, basically forces a degree of honesty and cooperation, that any, any player who's cheating or um, diverting from, uh, from the social contract, for lack of a better word, um, is, uh, is basically just evicted from things. So they no longer get the benefits of their own freedom. So their self-interest drives what gives freedom to everyone else. Um, so, uh, I think, yeah, there is, there is always that kind of risk, but I think that's the, the reverse incentives of the political system that, that make that such a, have such terrible outcomes. Um, but at the end of the day, people are going to be afraid of the failing financial system and of the systemic risk and the political instability, and they're going to be running to freedom, and Bitcoin is going to be there one way or the other. So, all right. Wrapped up? All right, cool. Thank you, guys.
All right, I hope you guys enjoyed that one. Uh, I had a wonderful time meeting everybody uh, who was able to go. And uh, I will definitely be catching everybody at Bitblock Boom this coming year and hopefully many, many more conferences. Bitcoin 2021, unconfiscatable. Um, and uh, maybe, maybe if I'm lucky, uh, I'll get to go out to Baltic Honey Badger and some of those others. So uh, everybody stay tuned. Don't forget to subscribe uh, so, uh, so we can meet up and hang out at one of these. Um, Thank you again to our sponsors. We have three awesome sponsors. We've got Level.co, which I'm so excited about. Mobile banking, Bitcoin, full-on Bitcoin banking services. We've got the best hardware wallet in the business, the Bitbox O2. And of course, the Bitcoin software suite would not be complete without an awesome mobile wallet. And that is the Hexa wallet. Check them all out. Um, and uh, follow me and everything I do and uh, stay up on the recent things uh, that uh, I have been publishing at GuySwan.com. You can find all the sponsors right there at the top if you want to check those out as well. And of course, if you're not DCAing, uh, there's a great opportunity right now with a little bit of a dip in Bitcoin. Um, if you're not using Swan Bitcoin to stack, um, I chill them just straight free of charge. Um, of course, actually, well, I guess the reference link, link will get you free Bitcoin and it will get me a couple of free sats as well. That is swanbitcoin.com slash guy. But you should be stacking sats regardless. You know, getting, getting free sats in the, in the process is just, a, is just a bonus. All right, guys, I am out. Thank you so much. I hope everyone has a wonderful weekend and I will catch you next week with another episode of Bitcoin Audible. And until then, take it easy, guys. This has been a 111 production, and you are listening to Bitcoin Audible on the Crypto Economy Network.